Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 5, Loud as a Whisper. Jean-Luc Shorty Specs, mysteries on the holodecks, asteroids, triple droids, telepathic betazoids, transport a deadly claw, visitor from L.A. law, photons, no Kirk, captain has gone berserk, shuttlecraft, console Troy, Dr. Crush's little boy, Klingon rights, parasites, new heights, phaser fights, Data's head, Tasha's dead, Wyke is hanging by a thread, celebration, transformations, everyone to battle stations. Joining in the discussion this week uh, is also Oslik being our third person. Oslik, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I missed you both uh, immensely. <laughs> we are in this together. <laughs> that's right. Now. <laughs> so well, I think I think that's that covers everything, guys. That's it. All right. Next week we will discuss the episode. No, um, <laughs> we. Uh, I, I want to start this one by saying, like, um, I just want to get this out there that it's been interesting to get into season two because Paul has been violently against many of these episodes. I'm curious if that's where he's landing on on this one. Um, I'm really neutral. Like, I'm very, like, I see some good things about it. I see some not so good things about it. I'm kind of like, meh about it. You know, like, so I guess to start, not to put you too much on the spot, but, uh, you know, as our guest, you sort of got to pick which episodes you were involved with. So what, what drew you to this one? Why did you want to talk about Loud as a Whisper? Well, there's a couple th- – when I first I, – what I remember is that line that we just uh, tried to do again. Right. I, I, yep. And it, it was just strange to me to think that people in the future had no idea that other people couldn't hear and that they had to do research about this and then couldn't figure out what to do to respond to that. Right. So, I mean, so I remember that being pretty silly. Um and then as I was watching it again, I was like, okay, how do I extract anything good out of this episode? And if I put all of the major plot points aside, the fact that they're in the future, and if we imagine this is, like, not in the future, and they had, like, magic, which they do talk about, then the story is really about the um, whether or not uh, how one creates uh, confidence in oneself, and if confidence and fear are uh, are are if, if the opposite of confidence is fear or not, hmm. um, and so so just if I put all the plot points aside, right? So the the fact that this is not going to work, right? You can't send a guy to a planet where people have been fighting for fifteen generations, teach them sign language in three months, and they're not going to stop fighting. Okay, it's none of that's going to work. <laughs> but the the episode is really it's a vehicle for for Riva. It's not a it's not a Star Trek story. Um, and it's an exploration about uh, confidence and tragedy and fear. And I think part of the, if I read it in a certain way, the end of the story is supposed to make you think, like, that's not going to work. Because it's just the cycle of this uh, uh, sort of, it's like, the, the, the you know, the Greek, the chorus stuff, the Greek chorus stuff, right? That's sort of, I think it's sort of obvious. But part of the story is that hubris is what's going to get you in the end, right? And that in some sense, his, there's his overconfidence 
and he's going to fail. And then there's the natural confidence, right, trying to draw from his from his disadvantages. And we know he's also going to fail because that's not going to work. So mm-hmm. it's this. Mm-hmm. I think the story is is interesting if you think about it as sort of um, that it's still tragic some sense i think it's really interesting that you went that direction in in uh describing the episode and and kind of its core because you've hit upon something that i didn't realize until um i started looking into it this the whole episode essentially came about because uh the gentleman who plays revo uh, Riva, is named howie siago um and he is in fact deaf um and he petition he petitioned the producers to create a show about deaf people mm-hmm. or a deaf person um, right. in part to to kind of get something out there on TV that was positive and maybe dispelling some of the the myths or, or prejudice surrounding um, deaf people. So it's interesting to hear you say that, you know, this episode is basically a vehicle for Riva and and because that is that's from its original conception. And I think we can talk about whether or not it was ultimately successful, but at right, its core, right. that's where it started. It was a vehicle for right. this character, like this person. And, and, yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting. I, I read that too after I had watched it, and it makes a lot more sense as that. Um, because it is, at, at its core, I think what, what Atsuk just said holds up a lot. That this is something about um, inclusivity and learning to work with other people who are not like you um, and have different skill sets and, and reduced skill sets in places, but then better skill sets than others and um yeah it's a really interesting episode and the star trekiness almost is, is the part that is the problem that some of right. those yes. elements don't work exactly um, but mm-hmm. the yeah. core of this story that people are different and you know it's not just all not every, everybody's not just Riker, you know it, right. it, it's yeah. it's right. an interesting dilemma that they face there well right. and one of my favorite parts of the whole episode i think um kind of centers around that that spiritual core to the episode in terms of like trying to be a tale about um differences and and shading those in in a positive light talking about how differences strengthen rather than detract um and and i feel like the conversation that reva has with jordy when he first arrives on the bridge is really kind of sweet is really very touching Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and I remember like because I've watched this episode now a few times I've watched it more in the last few weeks I think than I have pretty much through my entire life up to now <laughs> preparing for this show <laughs> and so you know there's a lot of stuff that I can kind of like nitpick about it and be kind of annoyed with by it but I remember like every time that scene comes up the you know both of the actors play it well it's a very nice nicely written uh, exchange between the two and it's it's a sweet message and a good message, and I think that's where they were ultimately trying to get. It's just, you know, yeah. some of it didn't work out so good. But Yeah, know. and I think that's the Star Trek stuff, I mean, so I think that's something we can sort of get. And, and that scene is useful because it sort of establishes that he's got this capacity to empathize with people, right? Mm-hmm. He can sort of see them in, in uh, really well, all right, see their emotional qualities and take you know, take their disadvantages and make them advantages and all that stuff that he talks about, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, it's a really Star trek part, you know, TNG part of the episode where I think there's lots of, um, you know, uh, positive uh, sentiment about multiculturalism and inclusion, right? And even when, at the, towards the end where Pulaski finally shows up and she and Jordy have a conversation, <laughs> right? <laughs> anyway, um, right. And, and I think the discussion is, you know, what would you... If, you know, what would you change, right? Uh, would you, could you do this if you wanted to? And he had to think about it. And 
I think in some sense it's saying that either way you'd still be you know it, it's part of him but his his disability is sort of it's definitive in some sense but not necessarily completely definitive of his humanity right um, yeah. but what I think is really what I think is really neat about the way that that Howie Siago plays this character is that even he's not a magical deaf person right like mm-hmm. it's not like his powers his you know it's not that his 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 disability is what gives him magical powers right it gives him some incentive in some sense and some capacity to innovate a solution but he's not a magical character and no no he just says he's clever right and he's, he's clever good right at his and, job he's good at his he's, job and he's full of himself right he's mm-hmm. overconfident at the beginning um he uh he's a player right he's like trying to seduce troy um and troy sort of is at some she's sort of skeptical about it i think you know uh, uh in future episodes i hope to be on uh where we can talk about how troy falls in love with people i think it's hilarious but <laughs> but he's overconfident he goes up to the he goes to the debriefings like i don't need to hear the rest of this you know, I everything is about something basic. I can figure. And Riker's like, "Who the heck are you? I'm supposed to be the confident one, right? Like, you're you're taking up all the air in the room." Yeah. Um, and even yeah. at, even at the end of the episode, right? He's frustrated in himself, right? He is. Um, he shows a real sense that he's incapable, right, and that he cannot overcome. He cannot do what he wants to do, right, uh, because his tools are gone. Yeah. And, yeah. Troy sort of helps him out, but like I'm thinking, if you think about the episode as ultimately like this is not going to work, he just gets his confidence from another spot, right? That now it's internal, right? It's not uh, the uh, ascription of being a leader or a part of the, the ruling line of his planet, but now he has to figure this out for himself. But we know it's not going to work, and so it's sort of a different location of that confidence. And um, and I th- I think what really ties all this together, and why I think this theme is really the the key theme of the piece. Is that when Troy Picard calls Troy in at the end of the episode and says, "Look, I haven't told you this, but you did really excellent work," and that's the end of the episode. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's that's why it's sort of like it's all about what are you, how do you need, where do you get your confidence from? Can you make, can you develop it from the inside, as Troy says, or is it something that people can give you and can encourage you to develop, right? Um, and is this something that? Uh, we do for each other, right, as a matter of inclusion? Or is it something that we sort of leave to others and say, well, you've got to figure that out for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can be yeah. confident because you can. You have to sit down and sort of have the grit to do it. And I think this episode sort of connects all this together, that part of the inclusion part is to say, look, there are some fucked up people out there. Um, they may have differences from you. Don't hold that against them. It's not the reason. But we can't just sort of pretend that all of our, our, our differences are going to magically make us capable of doing things. And we need other people around us to reinforce that. And so I think that's what they were, that's the theme, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, so, and that's anyway. where it largely comes from the fact that the theme is not really Star trek The theme is about um, this idea of inclusivity and, and differences, right? And that part works. Yeah. Um, well, but and, and, I would argue, though, I, I would say that is... Like, I would say that, you know, you're kind of saying that's not very Star Trek. I mean, I would say that's at the core of Star well, Trek. I mean, like, really, um, like when you get down to it. Because, I mean, even going back to, like, the original series and the concepts of, like, Vulcan philosophy and the Vulcan idic, the you know, the, the, the belief of infinite diversity and infinite combinations, um, you know, I, I would say that that is <clears throat> almost absolutely a, a mantra of... Star Trek's humanist philosophies, um, which yep. which is to say that that 
you know, essentially the whole idea behind the, the 24th century and humanity and, and the beginning of the Federation was because people of Earth realized that differences um, are what, you know, make us stronger, not weaker. You know, like that's, that's yeah. I would say that's kind of at the core of, of Star I, Trek. I guess, yeah, and maybe, you're right. And maybe I need to say that in a different way, that it's the... Um, it's what I said earlier that that this really could be set in modern times. That part of mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. right? And it feels like it could be a Saved by the Bell special or something. Um, <laughs> I'm very so easily, excited. we could craft this as a Saved by the Bell special, <laughs> right? Um, right. And, and that's why and, I think it's it's more than that in some sense, right? Because I think on the surface we know that this that Star Trek in the '90s sort of fairly progressive show inclusion, equality, all that. But what they're showing about the characters is, well, how do you do – what's the actual process by which this happens, right? So, mm-hmm. yes, we can include people. We can show that everyone has special skills. But mm-hmm. the, but Riva is a is – a, is kind of a terrible person. <laughs> uh, and, and he – you know, and the crew has to sort of work – he has to work through his, his, his tragedy, right? Um, and that his – the crew sort of tries to help out in some way. Like, how do we make it so that this inclusion actually operates, right? And they go out of their way to try to make it work, right? It's not just, uh, they don't just simply accept it, but they try to work on this. And that's the part where it's like, that's the, the Star Trek part that doesn't make any sense, is that nobody in the future knows how to do sign language. Well, they don't uh, recognize it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> I think I have a note um, here about <laughs> Worf. Uh, I have a note that Worf, like, at a certain point, my my question is: Worf has never seen any hand signals, which I'm not remembering specifically what that. <laughs> That's applies. right. Yeah, yeah. But he like... he is aghast <laughs> when uh, the very concept of a sign language comes up, and he he's complimentary of it. But the way in which he's complimentary of it, it clearly shows that he's like, I didn't know this was a thing until two seconds ago. Yeah, so, right. And, and it was that. It, it, if, so it's oh, those parts this would be useful edges. if I wanted to kill someone and they didn't know anything. Yeah, right. right. Like if you had like a recon team going somewhere or something. I mean. Maybe Klingons just jump in there and shoot everybody and don't rely on hand signals. But, um, it, it's those parts around the edges where it starts to fray. Yeah. Right? And, and you yeah. talked about Pulaski earlier too, and I have some notes about that Pulaski scene that are just like I can't even I can't even read them. But um, she's like, what is she talking about? She's talking. She's like brains, and she just it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. For a I can't help her. Things. I can't help him because he has. Uh, the gene makes it so that even if I gave him hearing, it wouldn't process correctly. Yeah, and it's like, um, well, <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think unfortunately, like that, all of the stuff around the periphery that we're talking about that that really works against the theme of the episode is another, I think, unfortunate instance of the times of the episode, like as far as when it was shot, just crashing yeah. into right. um, the I, I, badly crashing into this the theme of this episode like yeah well it it, it makes it a cultural artifact of the late 80s you know it's that question it's that question of um you know if if you're in the future and you have all this technology then you have to come up with something to explain why there are still people who Mm -hmm. um still have medical problems that are potentially fixed with you know the technology that you need to have say a warp drive yeah um and so that's where it gets trickier uh, and yeah. it's just they could have spent a little more time coming up with something a little yeah. better. Well, and I mean, even um, even if you want to hand wave stuff like that away, that's not entirely problematic. I think it's just you're seeing you're seeing people writing this show who aren't used to writing shows like this. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, so, I mean, part of the reason I think the show becomes much stronger just even a season from now is because the people who eventually become the core of the show 
um, get what the show's about. Like, I, I think right now at this time in, in the show's development, not only do you have the writer's strike, which has thrown the writer's room yep. into basically panic and disarray, but even through the whole first season, um, all of the shenanigans that we've talked about on the show before that were going on behind the scenes just led to a bunch of people who are just writing stuff because they're like, I don't know, right. we'll throw this in here and see what, what sticks. So, Because right, I think it would right, be very right. easy for Pulaski's response to this uh, to be, you know, hey, there are some methods that we could adapt to help him, but, but you know, it would take months of research or years of research. And, you know, I mean, basically to not have her just fold her arms and be like, nope, it's impossible, I guess. Well, right. And, right, and right. It, it calls into question something that I, I have a question about the episode, but then a deeper question um, that'll, that'll be important in about 11 episodes. Are they humans? Because like, this is huh? this is one of the fundamental problems. Like, are they humanoids? Are they aliens? Are they different races? Oh, are you they mean the same? You mean Riva is, and his chorus? Yeah, yeah. And okay. and so the the trick would be that since they look so much like humans, and they didn't try at all to make them alien enough, right? And and the deeper reason I'm asking is because in when we have a mid season recap, we're probably going to use these <laughs> one or two alien species <laughs> if they are in fact aliens. Um. But if, say, you just put a bit more makeup on him and he didn't have ears, now that's much easier to just say, well, he doesn't have that part of his brain, right? <laughs> right. You can't yeah. add yeah, that right, because right, right, that's not part of his physiology. Sure. But sure. since they look so human, it's harder to make that tell of just like, oh, he doesn't have the hearing gene. Right, yeah. right, right, yeah. right. They need to be sufficient. I mean, his people need to be sufficiently similar to, to, to humans for that to work out, right? And, yeah. and I think part of the, the part of the dynamic, too, is since based, uh, they even offered to send data down to translate, and he's like, he doesn't have my emotional, he can't express my emotions the same way. Well, and so and the I deeper think, question, are they telepaths? Because that's also yeah, super because he says he says they they read my thoughts and turn those into words. Are they all telepaths? His chorus, just, yes. the, just the ruling class. Yeah, the chorus too, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's like a class system. And... Yes. 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 So he and he's at the top of that chain. <laughs> yes. The, yes. The ruling the ruling class doesn't have the gene for hearing. I've watched this a bunch of times. Let right. me tell you. What what we're um, getting right now is the experience of like if you're if you're listening to this now, just imagine watching the episode with Paul right next to you. These are exactly the moments where Paul went, Man, forget this episode. Really? Are they telepaths? Are I mean they I wrote humans? some down are these questions. Aliens? Well, and that's that's the question. How would this ever and and I mean, this is this is almost too cheap of a question. Like, how would this situation evolve? How would this type of communication evolve? That I'm gonna let go. Right? That's that's way too yeah. uh, deep of a question. We'll just say it did. Um, yeah. But but they 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 spend a lot of time um, just not paying any attention to that. Where they could have made them a little different in order to make it feel like some of these excuses work work better. Yeah. Right. And I think that's the part where it's like, this is where the if. It's the Star Trek parts aren't good, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. like, um, or, the, or and, they're and lazy, you know. Yeah, well, or they're, because yeah, if or it they're was lazy. saved by the bell, sure they're humans. Here, you have that tool that you could use to make them some other alien species and erase a whole bunch of these problems, and they didn't use it because part of this arc isn't really thinking about it in a Star Trek universe. It's thinking about it in this um, this deeper story, um, which we said is good, but that isn't necessarily at its core. Um, the seed of a Star Trek episode, right? And what, th- the genesis of it wasn't that. Yeah, and I think you know, like you know, spent uh, budget aside and all of this stuff. I think in some ways, part of the lesson learned from the Pulaski parts and the data parts are that 
you can't medicalize this problem, right? It's not yeah. a, a solution that can be just be tr- there's a diagnosis and a treatment, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that well, run, in part runs up against the idea of people having differences that um, can should be included, right? And, and then also the data part is the um, the um, technology part, right? Like technology is also not going to save you. So what is it yeah. that we have to do? And there's this the empathy and the communication part. I think they're trying to get through. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, I think I think this this episode just bears a lot of those battle scars of just being rushed um, and being poorly constructed in terms of how. I, I think they had a pretty strong like initial conception of of an idea. You know, right? Like we want to show this person as a human or, or as a human like person. You know who. You know, yeah, he's deaf, but he is also just a guy, you know, and so he's got he's got great qualities and terrible qualities. Um, but along the way, the the minutiae part uh, as far as how the technicalities work, you know, they, they made a choice to kind of haphazardly explain some of them. And I'm almost of the opinion that you go either direction, either you spend some time and you really deal with it um, yeah. or you just put it out there and it is what it is. Um, right. And I feel like they kind of tried to hedge their bets and go both directions. And I feel like it's probably stronger had they just really established this is me, this is how I communicate. It's it's part of our culture, you know. Well, right. and and that's a good point that there's two ways to go on that. That even the Pulaski stuff where she says it's impossible, there's that way to go that medical route, which doesn't really make sense. But the same conversation that was had with Jordy, she could say, hey, we have this thing that could fix you. And his response could be, this is me. I don't need fixing. I'm not. Yeah. Yep. I'm not going to take this because it would change who I am, and that's a better way to deal with that than saying oh, brains. Right. But I think the point of that was to show, like, you know, something's. You know, when you treat something as a medical condition, it's not. You know, sometimes they have treatments and solutions, right? And Jordy's like, "Yeah, I could get this fixed, but I got to think about it." Yeah, that's exactly. the end of the scene, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's the ambiguity is like, okay, I mean, it, not everything is like this, right? There are some things that, um, in some ways, we might imagine some some of the dif- dis- disabilities people have can be treated like their medical conditions, but it still is a matter of choice, right? She, mm-hmm. The doctor's mm-hmm. not saying we have to do this for you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, I, you know, rethinking about it, I think the subtlety sort of makes sense to me, I think. Um, and I think it's a little, you know, it's a nice contrast between the first scene where it's like everybody celebrate everyone's differences to <laughs> here's their, diff- you know, we could fix this. And he says, you know, I got to think about it. One way or the other, you should probably treat me the way that I should be treated. But well, and I think it's um, not a thing. Right? Yeah. To, to, to kind of piggyback on that, Paul, I think almost what if we would have flipped that a little bit? I think we could have dealt with um, some of the whole, you know, is this a medical problem? Is it a psychological, you know, like, I mean, what, how does this technically work with Riva by having almost that exact same scene between Pulaski and Riva? Where she could yep, have, exactly. she exactly. could have pulled him aside right. and said, you know, listen, there have been wonderful advances in in m- medical technology in the Federation. I have uh, several techniques that would get you, you know, uh, perfect mm-hmm. hearing, you know, and then have him have that conversation because I have the feeling that that character would have turned that down. That I think, exactly, you know, exactly. and, and then so, it's more powerful for that character for right. him to say, no, that this is not something that I want fixed. This is me. And then I think. If you did that same thing with Jordy, I think it would have been interesting to keep the scene in the episode as it is yeah. and show 
you know, something that is a similar situation for two completely different people and show their differing reactions. I, and I think that both of those things, I think, would, would powerfully reinforce the episode. But And then Pulaski yeah. would get shut down twice and it would be. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. Precisely. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I want to talk a little bit about the chorus um, because I, I did take a few notes here. Um, I, th- I thought it was an interesting idea. I have plenty of questions. Um, I, does anyone else think the guy who plays the libido is just kind of rapey? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> like he... It's so, I, I mean, I know what they were going for, which is a way, and I'm sure somebody, as they were pitching this, was like, no, it's great. Because, like, most people, when we write their lines, like, it's up to them to kind of, like, deliver intent, you know? And, like, but this one, we get to cast a different character for every, like, emotional state we want this guy to be in. Isn't that cool? And I think on paper and in a writer's room, that's cool. And I think what we found out is here, it's kind of weird. I mean, especially when he's hitting on a woman. Like, that's... Yeah, it raises so many questions. Uh, So many questions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was... Part of me, when I saw these scenes, like the dinner scene, for instance, where you can read the way that the the, uh, actor who plays Riva does it. You can just read his, his... You can see him, like... But just just the way that he, can, he his facial expressions work, right? That he's mm-hmm. really playing this. It's 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 subtle. It's flirty. But then when it when the guy's talking, it's like that's what a guy is thinking, even when they're looking at you in a way that might you know that it, that that demonstrates that they're interested. But in the back of his head, <laughs> he like wants to take your clothes off. <laughs> it's like okay, there's like two different things going on here. And I thought the way that he sort of like he looked at her. That was really good. I mean, you know, just playing, just literally off his facial expression, right? It's like, oh, that's pretty decent. And then if you shut down your brain for a second, it's like, okay, this is what he's thinking. But then if you just listen to what he's, what the the guy is saying, it's uh, it's a little yeah. a little unnerving. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it raises the question if there's any filter there, right? Do they always like he doesn't have a tell. He's not giving them thoughts, right? He's not projecting thoughts onto them. They're reading his thoughts, right? So they just say right. anything that he thinks. Um, which is then that, that seems like it would be a bad way to be a negotiator. Um, but (laughs) although it would be a wonderful skit, it would be like the, uh, no filter negotiator like that. Yeah, uh, exactly. Right. I would watch that on, on Saturday Night Live or something. Yeah. SNL would be the place for that one. (laughs) Um, it's, it's just weird, you know, that, that there's these three emotions and, Again, all the weird things with that of are these people slaves? I guess you you said that <laughs> the class system. Um, but what are they really getting out of it? Is this are they just they're just bred to do this? And they're you know there's one family that is always the the wisdom family, and then one that's the I forget what the three emotions were. But well, he was, does. Uh, yeah. They do kind of work around that a little bit, and I think try to explain it. And and I think what they're going for is sort of. Um, you know, a throwback to um to to basically m- monarchy, you know, lines of succession and how nobles get pretty tight with one another, essentially, um, because he does refer to them as like his friends, like after they're dead. He doesn't say like, you know, my chorus, my my servants, my what? No, he says like they were my friends. So. I mean, it, what they're kind of hinting at is this relationship, which is kind of symbiotic, which is, 
Um, and I feel like there could have been something there that would have been more interesting to maybe like spend a little bit more time with that. I mean, almost like if you imagine that scene where they beam down to the planet and, you know, there's that introduction, which I thought was fairly effective, although I did laugh yeah. because it's like, really, that wasn't in the briefing, like the notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like Picard Picard's comes back. Really good briefings these days. No, no, he comes back onto the ship, and then in, like, three lines, he tells Riker what should have been in their report, where it's like, Riva's deaf, these people speak for him, address yourselves directly to Riva. It's like, where, why wasn't that in your report? But okay. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Nobody knows. Right. Yeah, yep. yeah, but well, I feel and, like and, if they'd have spent more time with them there, they could have maybe just reinforced that those relationships just a little, um, which would have been good. There's a question, too, that uh, kind of in that briefing, and, and this is a small point about the episode that, that maybe makes a little more sense, um, knowing that it was pitched by, um, I forget his name, uh, the actor that, um, Howie that played Siago. Howie Siago. Um, but one of the things that really stuck, um, that, I, that I just was really having trouble with throughout um, the, the watches, was that I think they say deaf lots and lots of times. Um, and certainly there's, there's a comorbidity between um, deafness and muteness. Um, but but it, what it feels like is more the problem here is is the muteness, not the deafness. Um, that he can clearly lip read. He, he lips reads in many, many situations. Um, he tells people to address him, um, potentially for that, that, that reason. Um, but right. he could clearly hear other people, if not through his ears, through those sorts of, of ways. And, and the problem is that the chorus is there not to hear for him, but to speak for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a that's a weird weird way that they structured that to be all about the deafness and not addressing the fact that he um, is using them as his voice, not his ears. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. Is that, is that, I don't know if that's something that stuck with you guys or not. Yeah, it's um, it did seem like a, a a weird choice because yeah, I mean, especially for them to then go um, because I think it would have been probably more effective had they just had him not be able to lip read because i i did bring up that question while it was there not that like i i just kind of wondered i'm like well why would he be able to lip read like why would he care to like if that's exactly. if that's why he keeps his chorus around you know i would feel like that would be a huge advantage if you could literally just have them also you know beam whatever's whatever they're hearing straight into your head which is kind of originally what i thought they were mostly therefore until he said like no i can read lips and i'm like okay um yeah i thought that was i thought it was a little weird it did strike me as strange yeah but yeah so uh, I, that that whole dynamic because it, it, it is not really put forward that they're feeding him any information yeah i, I don't think that's ever right. the case isn't made for that yeah um, right 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 so right, it, right. it relies on the fact that 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 then deafness and and muteness is again that that comorbidity there but mm-hmm. um it's weird it is pretty yeah yeah that's a good point i um (laughs) i have a couple of little uh a little notes here too that um (laughs) we brought this up briefly but i kind of want to swing back to it for a second um troy falling in love was was pretty weird like in this episode (laughs) well yeah (laughs) riker's riker's not caring is also weird given the like super hot and cold they've had so far um like the first season they've just been on this weird roller coaster between him super caring that something is happening and then not caring at all and this is just one of those parts where he doesn't seem to care at all that um the guy's like hey do you want to go have dinner and it's like oh should your chorus come along and it's like oh just the passion guy (laughs) (laughs) and riker's like that seems cool (laughs) and and like (laughs) 
they not only like not only is he cool with it, he's standing there having a conversation with the other two that aren't needed as they explain to him like, well, in times like this, we're just more of an encumbrance. And I'm like, yeah, and what? what? So what are the other two? The other two are Harmony Wisdom and Scholar Artists. It's like, well, I'm not going to say yeah. anything even slightly smart or wise. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. I'm not going to have any of those right. thoughts. So they don't need to be here. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that that seemed <clears throat> for them to go to great lengths to talk about how each one of them has a very clear defined role and all of them make up his complete, you know, expression to then just write those two off immediately. <laughs> right. So You'll need two... one wingman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She <laughs> don't and, need three, you just uh, need one. Oh man. Yeah, that was and and I thought there's a line that she has, um it's like right after they dismiss the rapey libido chorus guy um and you know they they have that scene where they're you know she basically says like you know how do we talk to one another and i thought that was kind of nice that you know they're working through things and he's giving her some gestures and then you know she's following along but then she delivers the line (laughs) being with you here is important or being here with you is important to me too and she delivers it so flatly that I'm just like, is it Troy? Is it? Because you don't, I mean, she doesn't seem into it, like, at all. And I normally try not to fault, like, the performances of, of the main cast, but in this one, I'm like, I didn't really buy that she liked the guy all that much in that scene, you know? like Burns, yeah. she just yeah. had a child, like, three episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine, She's right? Remember, it was all cool. emotionally fragile. No, no. See, she suffered no ill effects. They went to great pains to remind us of that. I mean, she's fine. She's uh, she's just she's back to normal, hunky dory. <laughs> oh goodness! It, it just struck me because I was like, that's. It was a very awkward, I, I think, dinner scene. Um, it, yeah, and no, at first, no, I thought it was mostly. Scene. I thought it was mostly awkward because of the libido guy. Then they got rid of him. It didn't get less awkward. No, it didn't get it. It, it would have been times better spent elsewhere in in showing how he interacted with more people than just right. one who is also semi telepathic. Right. Hey, he, yep. he, she's she's more or less um, on the path to being one of his chorus. Right. Like if Troy's mother was there, she could be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but mm-hmm. but but that's why it wasn't a Star Trek episode. It was a Riva episode, right? It's like yeah, it's built 100%. around him. Um, next time so on think... Riva, the next generation. <laughs> right, 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 right. Still right. sitting at that table, waiting for the two parties to show up. <laughs> yeah, yep, exactly. Like they said, they'd be. I do here. like that as an ending, though. Sorry to jump to the end, but I do like that as an ending. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Well, and we haven't talked a lot about um, the aliens. You know, speaking of you know the resolution to this, <laughs> but those <laughs> aliens. Right are the worst <laughs> can we talk about That's where the... they spent their their makeup budget yeah oh my gosh it's like i i think it was like the the absolute budget bin mad max planet and it's like mm-hmm. i mean they couldn't even be bothered to spend anything more than just like rocks and then they put them in motorcycle outfits and gave them gnarly scars and they and then that was it like i i don't know like i I don't know what to think about that that whole thing because so, wh- why are they there? Like why? I mean, like right. <laughs> why? Why are they trying so, to get peace between those? Like because they just they don't even like their planet doesn't seem to have anything other than rocks and laser guns, 
and they in the first five seconds murder three people. <laughs> like it's yeah, right. Like... And I want to know what kind of laser guns those are. Like, if that was a cone burst, like that's a, a spread <laughs> weapon. Um, and and yeah. also, I mean, we have to point out the fact. And, and we were talking before um, before we started that that uh, other Jason also um, <laughs> had potentially expressed interest in this episode. I think just for the death animation, um, yeah, because it's probably. so so um, similar to the the one from Conspiracy, and it's such a cheesy yeah. '80s um, just bones and guts animation of of people getting melted. Yep, um, right. That is almost laughable at this point mm-hmm. um <laughs> yeah I, it, the, the, part, part of me thinks certainly the, from the, star uh, trek the, yeah. the those aliens were there just to serve the plot i mean yes i mean yeah it's sort of an obvious thing to say but literally the episode moves forward and the whole point is let's make two people let's we has to negotiate but let's make one of the aliens shoot someone else and then the rest of the episode will run yeah. downhill like it's like there's the first half of it and there's the second half of it um and they were just there to shoot lasers yeah um, they're a plot device and the question why were they there is like the plot needed them to be and why did they shoot those people the plot needed them to and like yeah why, why right, did exactly. they all have and the plot needed them to which is not yeah. bad if you know they do sort of spend not much time or effort or money on it um it sort of makes sense they're, they're sort of clearly a throwaway um, similar, I made that same argument back. Uh, the the dog people and the uh, was it the bear people or the bear people and dog people were the same lizard people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they were clearly a side um, of this episode that you weren't supposed to pay that much attention to. Um, yeah, and yeah. they do that to some effect here. You know, you're not going to figure out if these people get get along because the problem is intractable. Um, I we're do... not there to solve their problem. We're there to solve this other problem. Yeah, right, that's right, that's right, true. Right. I I feel like though I feel like the way in which those aliens were portrayed was was I think so apocalyptic and so pessimistic that it just I think it detracted from the overall point because I, I feel like as at least for me if I'm watching something I you know Oslik you brought up the point that like he's clearly clearly not going to succeed and I'm like I think it would have been a more interesting episode had they painted it with some optimism that there was at least some possibility that these two sides could work it out. But I mean, the, at least the sample we get of, of um, that planet in the state that it's in with the warring factions as like, just almost irredeemable as they are. I'm like, why would you send the best negotiator in the world to this dumpster fire? Like that's right. What what are the, what are the stakes of this negotiation? Mm -hmm. I don't think that anyone set that out. Right. And Picard's basically like, I don't care. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I don't care. Just this, just let's just, sorry about that internet. Uh, There's a bleep coming or there was one, but, but um, he's like, I'm just transporting. Right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's like I, I don't care what's happening here i'm just transporting the guy you know like i don't know who you are and it, well <laughs> it's similar to the plasma plague from um from the child um mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. it's just a weird like oh we need something on the side and here it is and it's weird um yeah yeah but it <laughs> is so weird yeah and that's i i feel like that sentiment just permeates so much of this episode that that like i i think it's i think this episode i'm drawn to it because it seems like it has a lot of heart like it means well um which is a thing i can't say about a lot of the dumb episodes in the first two seasons of of next generation um but i still think it's just terribly goofy um 
I well, and we we've we haven't talked about one of the parts that maybe is the most redeemably goofy, which is um, this is the ocean. This is the blue ocean. This is the, <laughs> um, uh-huh. right? that, that's a yeah. very charming scene uh-huh. from uh, a, a charming character, Data. That that is. Um, learning this but not realizing that that Picard doesn't also want to learn sign language with him um, <laughs> right yep it's Picard actually really does not he has he does not care he's at all like, what look happens. you already did this you know it I don't need to <laughs> stop telling me I gave this to you so that you could do it you did it hooray let's go um, <laughs> I feel like that and then the um, the exchange that they have right before uh, Riva goes down to the planet for the last time um, when <laughs> When Riva signs to him and Data just goes, thank you. Oh, thank me. Ah, you know. That, yeah, <laughs> it was, that was cute. That was it cute. Was, there's a lot of really cute Data stuff here where he's just like, yes. I mean, he's engaged. He's locked in. He's got a job. He's very good at it. He he did it with all the skill and proficiency that an android would. And then it's those little like social graces that he's just, you know, he's missing, but he's so charming about it that he's, you know, it's. There's some very good Brent Spiner stuff there. But yes, you, you yes, are right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, so, I mean, really, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know where to go with this one. So I would like to go very last. Um, Burns, okay. what makes a man turn so neutral? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just born with the seed of neutrality in my heart. Uh, that's, that's what it is. Um, so, go to beige alert. <laughs> Slick as our guest. Um Go go ahead. What do you what do you think? Should we add this yeah. one to our our watch list or skip it right on by? So so uh, I I don't know if I could give a yes or a no, but let me explain. Well, you're gonna have uh, to. <laughs> yeah. Let me let me say this. I'm gonna give it a qualified yes. Okay. Things you have to keep in mind, right? I mean, if you're already listening to a podcast intending to watch Star Trek, I think you can you're capable of doing this, and I don't mean that condescendingly. But watch this episode as a product of its time, um, and then. You just kind of have to uh, set aside what you think is cheesy to try to get at what might have what they might have been going for, mm-hmm. and then you decide whether or not the, the distance between what they were going for and whether or not they executed it was good. And I think that there were a lot of really good attempts at making this work, and I think for me it was uh, it was it's beyond a nice attempt. I think there was a lot of complexity here that gets lost because it's a, it's it's. 1988, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah. I would watch it and I would watch it critically and then I would ask yourself, okay, um, do I think that the message here is is a good, you know, not a good one, but is it, is it communicated effectively, right? At the end of the episode when Picard says to Troy, I just want to let you know that you did a good job and you were excellent and then it ends. I mean, if you're thinking about it, that's the tag of the episode, right? It's not a Troy episode, but a Riva one. But was that the point, right? Was this really much deeper than just a story about treating everyone equally. Um, and I think if you can ask that question and then say whether or not it's it fulfilled itself in doing that, then I think it's a, actually a pretty good episode. Um, but um, if you're going to watch it, I think you have to sort of watch it and think about it. It's not one of those like dumb ones like uh, Manhunt that we're going to see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you could hate watch it. But yeah, I, I'd say watch this. I mean, I think I think our, our listeners are savvy enough to, 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 to work through this one. Um, and, you know, they've, if they've sat through all of the first season and they watch this one, I don't think they're going to have lost any part of their own lives doing it. Um, <laughs> and I think it's worth sort of seeing as it gets better and better, right? Like, uh, could what in what ways could this have been improved? Like we were all talking about this episode. So, 
I think um, we watch you watch this, and I don't think you're going to think like Star Trek is bad. I think you'll watch it and you'll say there was a lot going for this episode. Um, it's not an abject failure, and I don't think it fails fails. Uh, but I think they tried to do a lot, um, and it didn't work out in some ways. But under the underlying points that we've all covered, I think really do were actually work. So I think I'd watch it. So that's a pretty compelling argument. Um, I, I have a feeling that I know where Paul's going to go with this one. But, uh, Paul, what do you think about about this episode? I, I just want to keep making Futurama references. <laughs> All I know is my gut says maybe. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think I'm a little stronger than a maybe. But I, I, I probably started as a maybe. Uh, and I, I agree pretty much 100% with what Asik just said there. Um that this is a great episode to make you think about um, all these issues, which is at um, both slightly different from a normal Star Trek episode. And again, when we start to try to say, oh, they have all this tech and, and blah, 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 that's where you run into some of these issues. Um, and why aren't they just aliens? You run into some of those issues. But um, as you pointed out, Burns, at the heart of Star Trek is all that, that idea of inclusivity and uh, diversity and working with uh, people who are not the same as you in in different species and and all over the board, and this is a great um, this is a great swing at this at at, at least. Um, and then some of the parts don't work, and some of the scenes probably don't need to be there. But at the end of the day, it's a good um, it's a good story about a. But well, Asik, you've been saying it is it's a tragedy. Yeah. Um, yeah. You have a person who starts out with a lot of hubris and a lot of power and 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 <laughs> three slaves basically. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and he falls from that. Right? He falls to a place that he thinks is um, is is pretty much the bottom, right? That that he's despairing of the place he is. Right, right. Um, that he doesn't believe he can climb back from that. And then the the arc is really teaching him that um, that he's not just this person who is defined by that characteristic or the the chorus or lack of chorus that. Um, that he's still a person who has a lot of to offer, right, um, right. and the place he's going to do this is a, a, a place that needs him most, even even now. But the, also the place who who made him fall from that. Right. Um, right. So that that arc is really touching right. um, in a lot of ways, and it is a great story. Um, again, um, for that community and, and knowing that right that he pitched this to the writers. Um, as an episode about people who are are deaf, um, and and it is a good way to get into this um, in, in in this Star Trek universe and say, yeah, maybe you could learn something about this. Maybe you can look at people a little different and not just let that one thing define them, um, because they have a lot more that that they are, and then it's not just that. Yeah. Which which frankly they haven't been doing to some of the characters that are even on the show. So <laughs> right. Um, they yeah. didn't learn this yeah. lesson about about Yar, they didn't really, they haven't yet learned this lesson about Troy, really. Mm. Um, Riker has been all over the map. <laughs> right? there's, there's only a few characters that, where they've got this right. So um, they, the writers themselves probably had a lot to learn from this. Um, but I think the, the viewers would too. This is a, this is a good um, way in which Star Trek can be a vehicle for something more and not just about um, ships in space shooting lasers. Right. So. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I, I would say this is um, for all of the things that you guys just said. I would say it's a recommend. Yeah. It's not a. 
guys it's a best of time so we're gonna throw in loud as a whisper like that's not that's it's not that kind of a recommendation well it's not important to the um, continuity maybe that's another way to say it <clears throat> correct yeah but it is a nice example of of them trying to figure out the formula of making a show about something um that's that's i think yeah what you said paul it's not just ships and lasers and, and special effects it's it's about um stories about uh, humanity and each other and um you know uh, about societies and yeah. and how we work together yeah, you know yeah. and, I, and i think it's it's asking important questions it's providing positive examples um and i feel like that's pretty radical for for late 80s television right. and, you know mm-hmm. i mean i feel like yeah and if it's an episode where especially since uh, how we siago petitioned to for the writers to develop something and what had a hand in even i think i read somewhere that he actually helped edit the end of the episode helped write it because uh, some of the mm-hmm. solutions weren't, weren't weren't super effective i mean think about as you folks watch the rest of star trek there are some episodes where they sort of try to figure this out on their own so the enterprise aids metaphor episodes or the uh, uh transgender Riker following falling in love episode I mean you can watch them and you're like yeah that's pretty good for a, for a Star Trek to try to try it out but it's they're very heavy handed um, and I think part of the subtlety here is provided by the actor who had a stake and was able to communicate this in a way that worked out on paper and in the performance and I think that's what sort of makes us a bit better at doing the uh, very special episode Star Treks than others Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of mm-hmm. like that. I mean, and I think about the missed opportunities about the those other ones. This one had some missed opportunities, but on the Star Trek side and not about the person side, not the humanity side. Right. And I think that's right. what makes this a good episode. Well, and at the end of the day, it's almost like you want to see more of him. Um, yeah. Kawasiago yeah. does such a good job here that, you know, I wouldn't be um, upset if a later episode came back to this planet and, like, picked him up again and said, hey, we need you for something else. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. it, it wouldn't mm-hmm. work great in this arc because i think the arc is closed well here but it's not a character that you just never want to see again it's a character that that grows on you yeah and you would like to see again yeah i was thinking that actually that he <clears throat> he's so effective in this episode that it's almost too bad that uh that this is a you know a location of the week kind of episode yeah. because we do you know we don't get to see what happens but this is one of those rare instances in early star trek where i actually would like to see what <laughs> happens yeah. Yeah. as opposed to just trying to get out of here yeah. so yeah. Well, gentlemen, as always, uh, this has been a, uh, a very fun conversation. And, um, yeah, Oslik, thanks so much for, for joining thanks. us once again. Thanks for having me back. I, can't, I cannot wait to talk about Manhunt. Um, so, uh... <laughs> That's a few episodes away, but, yeah. <laughs> It'll be here before we know yeah. it. So, uh, until next time, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And uh, we are always in this together. Now. Now. <laughs> Captain. I have reviewed and stored five distinct signing languages. Here's an example of the first. This is blue. This is the blue ocean. This is the blue ocean at sunset. This is two people walking along the beach by the blue ocean at sunset. This is two happy people in love walking along the beach by the blue ocean at sunset. This is two people... Let's talk to Riva. <laughs>